Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. Today, we're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry, along with some of our own considerations. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, please enjoy today's program. In the New Testament epistles of Paul, we find many profound and inspirational utterances. He said things such as, For me to live is Christ, and whether in life or in death, Christ will be magnified in my mortal body. And then in Philippians 3, And be found in in him. Where did these marvelous utterances come from? Was Paul simply the mouthpiece of the Holy Spirit as the Word of God came forth? Or did these phrases, these expressions, flow out of his own experience of Christ? Ron Kangas has joined us again for a particularly enjoyable life study from a passage of the New Testament, Acts chapters 27 and 28, that almost read like the stuff of a novel or a Hollywood movie. Good to have you here today, Ron, to help us with this uh, this really interesting broadcast. I really appreciate the opening of these two chapters in the life study of Acts. And uh, I can advise or inform our dear listeners that you have some very precious things ahead of you in this program. Ron, on the one hand, it really is a thrilling story with God's chosen one uh, as a prisoner on this voyage through dangerous, turbulent waters. Uh, We have a shipwreck. We have men overboard. We have uh, soldiers threatening his life and on and on. But there's much more to this passage than just a very entertaining story, as we're going to see today, isn't there? This incident was recorded in some detail under the inner anointing of the Spirit. And surely, God's intention involves much more than simply an account of a voyage in a shipwreck and miraculous survival. We have a picture here of not only the enemy's attack and God's sovereign protection— but of a believer in Christ, a God-man, our brother Paul, living in oneness with Christ, in ascendancy over the environment, even as he was in the environment. This we will see, I believe, quite clearly. From a passage of the New Testament, Acts 27 and 28, let's join Witness Lee for our first portion of this intriguing but very enlightening life study. Sometimes I wonder why Luke gives us such a detailed record. After much castration, I found the uh, reason. That is, Luke liked to present a picture to show us these few points, mainly to show us Satan's attack. You could see that in the entire voyage, 
there is no easiness, no smoothness, but difficulties, roughness. Satan was behind the scene all the time attacking. Yet, on the other hand, this picture shows us the Lord's kind care and sovereign care. The Lord is still over all. He is over the storms, over the uh, wind. He is over everything. The first thing the Lord was sovereign over was that he made these soldiers so kind to Paul. You see, in the first station, he gave Paul the permission to visit his friend. Then you could see the Lord sent the angel to Paul while they were on the storm. Everybody estimated that they will be not saved. There's no hope. All the hope to be saved was gone. So by that time, the angel told Paul that Paul would surely stand before Caesar in Rome. By all means, you could see the law was there overruling Satan's attack. Everything happened just in the right time that Paul was preserved and that Paul had a chance to exercise his kind of ascendancy and his kind of wisdom to show his dignity in his kind of human life. No doubt that was the life to live Christ and to magnify Christ. Then thirdly, the picture mainly shows us the personality, the behavior, the character, the life Paul had at that time. In Philippians 3, he told us he was pursuing Christ, that he could be found in Christ. I feel when I read these two chapters, I find Paul in Christ. Paul was really found in Christ. Here is a man, he lived a life showing his ascendancy and showing his dignity. He was a prisoner, yet, you see, eventually he behaved like a king. And he has the foresight, and he has the wisdom, and he has the way to handle things, and he could tell people uh, predictions. No doubt the Lord was with him. He healed people, and he uh, overcame the uh, poisonous snake, things like this. So you read these two chapters, you can see the picture shows you, here is a man who was a prisoner. Yet, he became the center of the entire situation. Well, Ron, he pointed out three things in this uh, passage that we see. First, Satan's attack against God's anointed one. All manner of difficulties, a rough situation, really an almost impossible situation. But through it all, the second thing is... God's care for his chosen one, and ultimately through that one, through Paul, his care for all of the people involved. And we had the angel here who attends to Paul and points out things in the future that gave him the the boldness. And finally, and most profoundly, we really see Paul's living. And I love this point, that Paul in this chapter is really living out the life 
that he presents to us all in Philippians 3. Let me read in verse 8. He said, He suffered the loss of all things, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. These verses are really illustrated in this portion uh, of the Bible, aren't they? They are portrayed in some detail as recorded by Luke, who was an eyewitness and a faithful narrator of what he had uh, observed. We've pointed out clearly there's Satan's constant attack through the environment, through persons hostile to Paul. There is God's sovereign preservation. Even an angel was sent to assure Paul that he will reach Rome and that he will be spared, his life will be spared, and that of everyone else on the ship. But the central matter is Paul's living. Let's remember he is a prisoner in bonds. He's of the lowest class on the ship. But at a certain point, he stands on the deck and begins to address all of his shipmates. And he is clearly speaking with authority, not because of a strong personality, by no means. But he is someone who is one with the Lord. He is a believer in whom Christ is living again, the life he lived on the earth. And Paul is actually living in ascension in his spirit, even as physically he is in the storm on the boat with everyone else. Because of all this taking place in our brother's inner being, what we have here is an instance of a believer reigning in life, as Paul wrote in Romans. Much more, we shall reign in his life. Romans 5.17, grace reigns unto eternal life. Verse 21, this was happening in Paul. That's why he is speaking like the grandfather, the head of a large family. But actually, we may boldly say He's speaking as someone reigning as a king, not domineering others, not bossing others, not lording it over others, but directing them, supplying them, encouraging them. As we may see, he even tells them to cheer up. Can you imagine someone telling you to be happy in the midst of a storm where you've been starving for days? But this is a picture, actually not of something spectacular, of what our God considers normal, a believer living a Christ-filled, Christ-expressing, overcoming, reigning life. Ron, let's go back to Witness Lee. Verse 21 says, And when they had gone a long time without food, Paul then stood in their midst and said, O men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. 
that's pretty bold utterance for someone who is in chains as a prisoner. And he sort of assumes the authority over all of the soldiers and even the centurion who's supposedly in charge. Here's Witness Lee. Humanly speaking, the centurion was already there. But now the kingship had a transfer from the centurion to the prisoner whom he guarded. So you could see something really sovereign. Verse 21, O man, you should have listened to me. In such a short word, Paul displayed his ascendancy with dignity. Luke's narration as an account of the Lord's move on earth does not stress doctrine, but the testimony of the Lord's vessel. Surely Paul was here, not a preacher, but a witness of the Lord. Hence, in his narration, there are no details of doctrine, but of the events which occurred to his witnesses in order to portray their testimonies in their lives. It is especially so with Paul's voyage in the last two chapters. Ron, I'm really struck with how he's pointed out a couple of times here. Paul and, of course, the Holy Spirit, not interested in, um, in providing us doctrines and teachings, but really a testimony of Paul in ascendancy with dignity, not as a preacher, but as a witness. The Lord really is not looking for more preachers, but he definitely needs more of these witnesses, doesn't he? He does. The Lord sounded out that word in the first chapter of Acts. You will be witnesses, testify of what they have seen and heard. And they not only speak what they have seen and heard, they live out and express the Christ concerning whom they are bearing witness. Ron, in this portion, we really see a contrast between the Apostle Paul and then these soldiers, sailors, caught up in base thoughts and folly. And the contrast could not be more stark. Here's Witness Lee. Look, in this record, gives us a contrast, a contrast of the business and the follies of the sailors and the soldiers. So here is a section that shows you all the people who didn't have Christ, how base they are, how fully they are. And they got caught by, <laughs> by Paul, the king. <laughs> the king was there watching over them. Verse 30, And when the sailors were seeking to flee out of the sea and were lowering the small boat into the sea under pretense, they pretended to do something. Paul saw through. So Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men, these sailors, these experts remain in the ship, you cannot be saved. So Paul charged, I would rather say Paul gave the decree to his army. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the small boat. Now, 
Paul said, Wherefore I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your salvation. Why? If you are starved to death, when the time comes, you have to do something to get yourself landed. You will have no strength. Now you have to fill you up with some food that you may have the strength to swim. And when he had these things, he took bread, listen, he took bread and gave thanks to God before all. A prisoner was practicing himself really like a king, like the head of a big family. You see, this grandfather gave the word of grace. He gave a thank for the food. That was really a sin. Don't forget the storm was going on there. Everybody was afraid to lose their lives. But Paul said, cheer up, yeah, be at peace, take good food, get yourself prepared. And he took bread and gave thanks in front of all these 276 people. What a picture. Didn't have the heart to eat. So Paul set up an example. I am cheerful. I'm in peace. Follow me. Imitate me. I have the peace. So you have to follow me. To live Christ. So he took the lead to eat. And all became cheerful. <laughs> and they took food. Then, quite meaningful. The thing happened gradually into a situation that the boat struck a reef that is a shallow place in between two currents of the sea on both sides. The counsel of the soldiers was that they should kill the prisoners. The centurion intending to bring Paul safely through this, we must admit that it was servant of the Lord prevented them from their intention and ordered those who were able to swim to throw themselves overboard first and get to the land. And so it happened that all were brought safely through unto the land. So they landed at Naelid. Ron, I'm just really struck with how kingly Paul was. It's almost as a, a grandfather would look after his, his, his whole family with wisdom and dignity and ascendancy. This is Paul reigning in the life of Christ, isn't it? It is, and I build on my previous comments. Paul had written to the Romans in chapter 5, first that we will be much more saved in his life. Christ has life in our spirit, will save us from all manner of negative things, most of which are in our own being. Then parallel with this, he speaks of receiving the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness to reign in life. So the life that we have received, the eternal life, the life in Christ, the Son— is a reigning life because it flows from the throne of God. And first, this life reigns in us and over us, over fear, 
over anxiety, over panic, which was no doubt in all those on the boat other than Paul. And when someone like Paul is under the rule of the divine life, then such a one can reign in life in and over the environment. Paul did not try to invoke some superpower to rebuke the storm, to ask for an outward miracle, a sudden change in the weather. Something deeper is happening here. In the midst of the storm, and eventually what will be a shipwreck, Paul is reigning. He is ruling. He is a victor. So there he is on the deck of the boat, not only testifying of his own faith, but caring for everyone on the ship. This is a clear picture of what Paul teaches us in Romans. This is someone in whom grace is reigning unto eternal life. This is a believer who has been saved in life to the uttermost, and who in that instance has received the abundance of the reigning grace to reign in life as a king. And this is meant to be an encouragement to us. For Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.16, he received mercy to be a pattern. So what Paul experienced, we can all experience if we learn to walk in his steps to experience and enjoy the Christ revealed in his epistles. Ron, thank you for your fellowship today. I would just like to close with this thought. As believers, I think many of us find ourselves in today's world situation, and it just seems to grow darker almost by the hour. And it's easy to fall almost into despair. But God is not looking to reform our fallen, dark society through man's politics or through our causes. What he's after is ones that he can raise up to live in the midst of such a situation in ascendancy with dignity to care for his interests. This is what we saw today. And in short, this seems to me to be what God is calling us to, like the apostle, to be found in Christ. I'm very thankful for what you just said, um, Chris. I'd like to enter into the same spirit and fellowship a little further on this. I'm not a young person. I've been observing the world situation, especially in our country here, the U.S., for many decades. It is incredibly, unspeakably degraded. The viciousness, the cruelty, the disrespect, the downright inhumanity of people expressing themselves now in social media in any kind of way. And yes, it's very easy to just have moments of despair. On the positive side, it causes us to yearn for our dear Lord to come with his overcoming bride to establish the kingdom. But God has something in his heart 
for our present situation. Prior to the rapture of the overcomers, prior to the Lord's coming to bring in the kingdom, the Lord needs living witnesses who shine as light in the darkness, who hold forth the word of life, shining forth in this darkening age. In other words, we need those who, in their experience of Christ, in his life and grace and resurrection life, even in his ascendancy, they learn in the midst of whatever environment they are in, to not live by their natural human life, but to deny the self, to turn to the indwelling Christ in their spirit, to exercise to walk according to the spirit, and let the Christ who is in them live through them, as Paul did in Galatians 2.20. They can truly echo experientially those words from the verse I just referred to. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. Yet the life which I now live, I live in the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what is portrayed in Acts 27. This is a Son of God a faithful brother in the Lord who pursues Christ, who is saturated with Christ, who is filled with Christ, who lives Christ, and who expresses Christ. For those that were on the boat with him, perhaps only Luke could understand what was going on, they saw a living they've never beheld before. Jesus the Christ living again in one of his faithful believers. The Lord must have such a reality lived out on the earth, not only in isolated, seemingly super-spiritual individuals, no, but in a group of people who live in oneness with him and with one another and who together corporately live and express this wonderful Christ in the midst of any kind of environment, all kinds of situations. Christ is living again, shining out in them, reigning in life and ministering life. This is what is on the Lord's heart for his people right here and right now. Thank you for your fellowship, Ron. We hope you'll join us next time for another life study of the Bible with Witness Lee. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, publisher and distributor of the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. If you'd like to contact us, just email radio at lsm.org or call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. 
That's 1-888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.